Well, welcome, welcome to you all. I hope you are all riding the wave of the 2020 year that we're having with all of its interesting twists and turns and staying safe and connected regardless of the challenges. So welcome and I'm excited about this episode. This is one of my favorite Americans. He's eloquent. He's had a knack of simplifying complicated stuff. And um, frankly, he's a great guy. So we're going to listen to Chaz August, who has been in counseling and life coaching, um, well, since the 80s. So he's got a fair amount of wisdom in there. And the subject today is how to talk so your partner will listen and how to listen so your partner will talk. Why don't we head straight in and immerse ourselves? Well, and welcome everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I'm very excited to bring it to our platform today. One of my favorite people. Um, Chaz and I met back in 1993 when I was living in San Francisco and he was one of the facilitators on a groundbreaking workshop for me that changed who I was, how I was in relationship and my image of myself and it healed so many things. And I'm so delighted to have Chaz with me today uh, from a warm place and I know that over here we're pretty chilly um, to talk about the theme of how to talk so your partner will listen and how to listen so your partner will talk. So Chaz, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lucy. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you. It's been, we've had a lovely long friendship and uh, I'm glad we get to do this. Yeah, thank you. In fact, yeah, you, you've actually been working in, in life coaching um, for longer than 1993 when I came. Yeah, yeah, more than 30, more than 30 years. I started out, I actually started out as a hypnotherapist. That was sort of my way in. I was, a, uh, I have a degree in philosophy, but I really, I, I wanted, it seemed to me that there's like skills for how to change in a mindful way, to how to purposefully change. And, uh, and I wanted to learn what those skills were. So uh, I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic and I'm in the middle of five kids and I was, a, uh, I was the rebel. I did a lot of drugs. I did, uh, I did a lot of acting out um, in my late teens and early 20s and uh, really struggled with the whole relationship thing because really, you know, just I wasn't good at any of this. So, so by the, my 30s, I kind of knew there was a skill set I was missing, right? There's a skill set I have. I'm really good at making friends. I'm really personable. I'm outgoing. I can make presentations. Yeah, but that's, that's actually kind of superficial, right? There was, there was a whole heart thing where I was just armored, you know, like I didn't want anybody to get near because I guess all my childhood, that was a source of pain, not a source of joy, right? So I decided I need to learn tools to change this. And I was with a partner and she's, and I, at the time I was a smoker and she said, let's go to a hypnotherapist and quit smoking. And we did. And it worked. And I thought, okay, that, I want to learn that. And that, I just saw my first hypnotherapy client in the late eighties, you know, and then 
then you start getting curious. Well, I started getting curious. Learned more tools and more tools and more tools. Kind of moved away from the narrowness of the hypnotherapy focus. I still do hypnotherapy, but there's a it's a much bigger subject than that. And that what they call that these days is life coaching. Right. I, yeah. So I'm a life coach. I've been a life coach for a long time. I'm also a workshop leader, and I write a little bit and uh, do a couple other things. But really, I'm a life coach. Okay, yeah, because um, you brought up something that I think um, I feel personally, but maybe a lot of people do, is you, we don't often have the role model. We don't often have a functional father figure for women, yes. often which will run their relationship patterns and, um, and vice yes. versa. And even if we do think we've had a fantastic parent, there's going to be some stuff missing, right? I, so first, uh, I am a man. I've been raised in Western culture. I want to say we men, particularly if you were born after sort of World War II in Korea, you know, the, the men of my age or younger, it just feels like for many of us, there is no guidance on how to be a man. There's just no guidance. It's like, it's something happened with the Depression and World War II that sort of gave men a fantasy of what it was to be a man. So at least they had some idea about it. But we didn't even have that. <laughs> you know, like, and I'm not saying that men were better men then, but they had some picture of, in their mind of what it was to be a man. What is it to be a man? You know, I turned 17 years old in 1970. Is being a man... Um, Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate? Well, no, he was a confused kid who couldn't figure out, oh, was it Jack Nicholson in Five Easy Pieces? No, he was an angry guy who couldn't really keep a relationship. Oh, I got it. Okay, so was it Clint Eastwood? No, he was an inarticulate guy. Who? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like there was just no, there was no modeling in media, and we didn't really know how to do it. Um, I was very blessed. In my 40s and 50s, I was mentored by a man who founded those workshops that you and I met at, Stan Dale. And Stan Dale was really the first time in my life I ever had a guy who was old enough to be my dad, who in a way fathered me in a really powerful, loving, inviting me to show up in the fullness of what I already was. That it was the first time in my life that I'd ever, I, I, I was stunned. I was, and it changed my life. It just, it gave me, an idea of what might be possible. So a lot. So I work with men and with women because it is my experience that there's differences, but the similarities are way more than the differences. And there are some times when what a woman really needs is to work with a strong woman. She needs to find that mo that woman model, and I'm not that. And I'm you know I completely get that. You know yeah. I don't. Yeah, I find that interesting. Depending on what issue is in my life, I would need to work with a particular gender in that. Yeah. Yes, because yeah. you can have very masculine women and you can have really feminine men. So, yeah, yeah I see what, what you're, yeah. you're saying. I, I have one client, actually, one client right now who we're working on helping her explore her femininity. Right? Now, why would she come to a man to do that? Well, because I have some insight. Into, I do have some insight. I, I want to say I'm a pretty balanced guy. I present as very cisgendered male, very you know, kind of brusque almost. Um, but I have I'm I have a I'm 
I'm a loving dad, hands-on dad. I was a single dad. I, I, I learned how to breastfeed my child by hooking up a, a, a thing, a, a bottle of mother's milk and a tube that would run down my arm so that she could nurse on my knuckle, right, because her mother couldn't breastfeed, right? I, I'm, I shop. I cook. I... I I don't, I, those ideas about masculine and feminine, they're kind of blurred in me. I feel really strong in my man, manliness, but a lot of the ways I feel like I'm a strong man, other men might think, yeah, but that's feminine. So I, so for this woman, I'm a really good coach. I can help her explore the things she's trying to explore. Well, and, and the curly topic today is about being heard, isn't it? And how to yes. speak in a way. Yes regardless of the resistance because um you know often i'm with someone who may if they're feeling anxious get angry um you know that can be the go-to for a lot of men and and how do we get heard in the face of that and and for women it may be sadness or you know or neither you know there will be other stuff so so how do you want to start this this um this chat what comes up for you? it's a gordian knot so there's a lot of different ways to pull it but you just said a piece of it I think in our, in our culture, little boys, at a, to a certain age, little boys, if they get hurt, they cry. You know, little boys and little girls, if they get hurt, they cry. And there comes a time, you know, when a boy is five, six, or seven, where suddenly his peers and what they think of him are maybe as important or more important than getting comforted from mom. And so you'll see it on playing fields. You'll see the little boys that are playing soccer, right? They're playing football and, and somebody kicks somebody else, as boys will do, kicks them hard. And the, the one who got kicked will fall to the ground, tears in his eyes, see his mother over there and know that he could just run over to his mother on the sidelines and she'd hold him and say something soothing and see all those guys around him stand up and say, I'm going to get you, I'm going to, and cover up all that pain, all those tears, with anger. And I think many of us, many of us men, we learned this on playing fields. We learn, and one of the things I help men do is see that their anger may be a gateway to their tears. That that, right, that that's really, what's really going on here is we want to, we want to grieve. And anger is a part of grief, and it's the part that our culture has said is masculine. Right? You're allowed, you're allowed to be angry. Yes. Ang- angry women? Not so much. I only know one real synonym for an angry woman, and it isn't a nice thing to call her. Okay? Right? It's really, women, they have kind of the opposite experience. What happens to them, they get hurt, and if they get angry, Often they get punished for their anger. You go to your room, young lady, until you you sit in that room until you can come back. With, you know, you gotta smile. You gotta look right. And what girls learn is to cry when they're angry, because if they express anger as anger, it's not feminine. But tears are feminine. And daddy or mommy might pick you up and soothe you if you're crying, but they're gonna drop you like a hot potato if you're seething angry. And so we have these. Women who are covering up their anger with tears and these men who are covering up their tears with anger, is it any wonder we often have so much trouble communicating? And, and we've all had some of that. 
right? It's it's a pretty it's a pretty culturally wide known phenomenon. So we're trying to find our way through all this, right? We're trying to, and then we're trying to have relationships. And wow. So, do you think I, uh, something popped up for me that, in, in what you said? Do you think there's a way to express anger in a feminine way? Yes. Yes, I, I, I don't want to say feminine or masculine. I well, here's what I teach because this is what I know. There are there is nothing wrong with anger. Anger is okay. And women, if you get angry and you notice that the first thing that happens is you burst into tears, I want you to know it's okay. I understand why it happened. Maybe you have more insight into why it happens now. Men, if you notice that you feel hurt and what you want to do is just burst out in anger, it's okay. Let's start with that. Our culture is terrified of anger. We are afraid of anger. We've linked anger to violence. And anger and violence might be linked, but they are not automatically linked. Mostly that happens because if you are a filmmaker and you want to indicate that somebody's angry, it's very hard to show people's internal feelings on film. So you have the guy punch a wall or punch a person or pick up a gun everybody gets that oh yeah that's angry right we don't have modeling so what does responsible anger look like well you may have seen it in some of your politicians periodically you know like there are moments when you'll watch a good politician very clearly express their outrage about something that happened in the world without threatening without cursing, without name calling, without bringing up the, right? Just be able to force, forcefully say, this is wrong. This is wrong. It cannot be allowed to stand. We need to work together to change this. Not screaming and yelling. I want to say anger is what changes things in the world. Angry women are why women can vote, right? It takes angry women to really fight against the, all of the insidious patriarchy that we are all surrounded by. Really, I think it's angry people who are the ones who change the world. Anger is okay. What's not okay is when I'm feeling angry to lash out at you in ways that demean you, diminish you, threaten your physical safety, threaten your well-being, call you names. None of that's okay. Your anger is great, but every time you just burst into tears and, and try to manipulate me with your tears, you're not great. We need to learn how to express anger. And you can. There's skills. You can, you can learn how to do this. Do you believe, I mean, I have this belief that um, the basis of addiction is resentment. So, so do, do you think that anger kept in because you don't want to do the violence, you, you don't know how to do it in a more functional way, leads to that type of pattern? Yes. So I would, I would say it. there's a relationship that you're pointing out, and I agree with it. I have a Buddhist teacher, um, and she teaches this a little differently, but related to what you said. And it's this whole cycle of, I'm going to talk about anger. I'm going to talk about violence first, but then I'm going to talk about addiction. I have this anger in me. I don't know how to express it. I'm keeping a lid on it to protect you 
so that you, I won't hurt you. I'm, but, I, but in keeping a lid on it, I'm not actually telling you what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Everybody who's listening or watching this, you've had a partner, right, where you can see it in their face, but they won't express it. They won't really say, and they think they're protecting you. And it builds and it builds and it builds, and one day it just explodes. And for some of us, that explodes in violence. She picks up a plate and throws it at him. He picks up a fist and throws it at her. It really, it can escalate really fast. Abusive language, abusive behavior. Now we both feel wounded. But we love each other. So, I say, if I'm the one who hurt, I say, I, I'll never do that again. I promise. I really, I, I just, it just exploded out of me. I love you. I know it was wrong. I'll never do it again. But I don't address the lid that's on my anger. And so it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and the cycle repeats. Okay, now this is the battering cycle. Anybody who's been in, a, in an abusive relationship, you know, right? You, you, you just say, oh, that's it, I'm going to leave this person. And then they come to you contrite. And they, they cry. They say, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I'm so sorry. And they're not lying. They're not manipulating you. They really are genuinely hurt. But they're not doing the work to keep it from happening again and again and again and again. I say... That's the addiction cycle also. Yeah. It's the same cycle. I have feelings. I'm using a substance now to cover up my feelings. It goes along fine. I'm just, you know, I'm using just enough to keep a keel on it. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And then because the nature of drugs are that you, you need more and more and more. And you can't actually recreate the initial experiences. You think more will get you back to that original feeling. But you can't until you have so much that you either hurt yourself or you hurt others. You OD, you wind up in the hospital, you, you wind up, you know, gone for three days on a bender or you, right? And when you're done and you're at the other end of it, you're in remorse. I can't, I'm sorry, I'll never do that. Look, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm done. I will never do that. But we haven't addressed the feelings that are driving it will create the exact same cycle, right? Yeah, that the remorse part of the cycle is so seductive. And, and having an alcoholic dad, you would have seen that a lot because, of course, alcohol is probably the most misused. Oh, my God. You know, at some moment, at some moment, what I really learned was trust no one. That's what I really learned. I learned at like nine years old, watch from the living room window when my father's car pulls up and figure out by how he gets out of the car, whether I need to disappear right now or I need to show up and say, hi, daddy, I'm glad you're home. Because if I don't get it right, the consequences will be painful. And so, but that's a very distrustful way to go through life. Uh, it gives me a lovely skill. I can read people really fast. <laughs> I, I can read, I, you know, but, but at what cost? You know, at the cost of all love is going to come with, yeah, you better make sure you can really open that armor because if you're wrong, there's going to be a price, right? So for me, this is what I try to help my, okay, so a lot of us have this, a lot of us. We have it from different reasons. We have it from life. It doesn't, maybe we didn't have it as kids. We got it as adults. Maybe we had the best parents in the world. I, I tell people this sometimes. You can be the most loving parent in the world. And your kid comes home from nursery school and shows you 
finger painting. You know how kids like they, they just stick their hands and they, 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 they all right, and they and they bring it to you all proudly and they say, oh, I made this for you, you know, right? And you look at it and you go, Oh, I like it. What is it? All right, there's nothing negative in what you just did, except that what you just told your child is it's supposed to be something. It's supposed to look like something. I, I can't tell you how many adults I know that don't think they can't draw. They will tell you with a straight face, oh, I can't draw. Any human being that can hold a, a drawing device, even, not even your hand, in any part of your body, if you can hold a drawing device, anybody can draw. Yeah, but anybody can't defeat that loving parent who said, what is it? Yeah, is it done? You know, is it been, oh, is that our house? Is that me and mommy and you? Well-meaning, perfectly well-intended, and yet many of us are now carrying the story about what we can't do, how we're limited, and in a way, we're starting to build a wall around our heart so we don't, so it won't feel so painful when someone asks this very innocent question. Oh, what is it? Yeah. Right? Okay. So it's it's not malice, right? The problem here isn't my dad was a drunk, right? I mean, that was a problem. The bigger problem here is we don't really know how to parent kids because we don't really know how to parent ourselves. Yeah, that's it. And trust, of course, leads to being willing to be real, to communicate. So, so today's theme, which is all about how to talk so you get heard and, and how to hear without feeling guarded, is very much linked to trust. So yes. what before well, we get to questions, what what Okay, so let's talk about trust. I have a somewhat cynical view of trust because of my childhood. Yes. Okay. So trust for me, I the definition of trustworthy for me is not the same as what most people mean, but I find it's actually been really useful in helping me get unguarded. My definition of trustworthy is I trust that whatever comes my way. I will be able to find my way back to my heart. I don't trust that you will never hurt me. You're going to hurt me. I don't trust, you can't trust that I will never hurt you. I'm going to hurt you. I, I can't trust that you'll never leave me. People die. I, I can't trust that I'll never leave you. I can't, the most of the things we think, well, I can trust her that this person will never break my heart. No, the more I love you, the more likely my heart's going to get hurt. Because we're two separate human beings, and we don't we don't mean to hurt each other, but we do. So what trust means to me is I'm going to develop the set of skills to find my way back into my heart, and I'm gonna and together we're going to develop a set of skills so we always find our way back into our heart. Some days that's going to be really hard. Some days that's going to be really easy, but that's what we're going to trust. We're going to trust our commitment to find your way back into our heart. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. It's a, it's a commitment to self, isn't it? It is. Yeah, a it belief is. in self. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes you out of victim. Yeah. Right? Right. Once once I realize the person I have to trust is me, then no one can victimize me with their trust. Right? Trust me. Yeah, yeah. You trust you. I'll trust me. And, you know, I'll listen to the voice inside me when I don't feel like it's safe. And we'll talk about that and why that it right and you'll listen to that voice inside you so that 
because we know how to trust ourselves, we can trust ourselves with each other. And then suddenly we're not in that pattern of waiting. Waiting and also trying to change other, you know, having somebody who's almost perfect and just thinking, well, if they're with me, I can change them just enough so they'll be perfect. Yeah. Yeah, no. no uh, we, we don't really, we can't really change other people. We can influence them, but we can't really change other people. And we have to be open to being influenced. Or not. There's some things I'm open to being influenced about, some things I'm not. It's okay. There are areas between Karen, my wife, and I where, you know, she knows, yeah, he doesn't agree. He doesn't believe what I believe. Uh, I don't believe what he believes. Okay. These are not areas um, that fundamentally affect our ability to create a good life. You know, these might be politics. These might be, these might be uh, how I drive versus how she drives, you know. <laughs> they're not areas, they're not... They're not whether we should have children or not, or how much we love each other. Those areas, there's very little disagreement, right? But yeah, we're not trying to change each other. Yeah. So sometimes that means I'm accepting what I can't change. Yeah, powerful. Biggest example of people watching. Often in relationship, one of you has a different uh, idea about time and punctuality than the other one doesn't. I hear this in couples all the time, and it's not always. I, I want to say, if you're one of those men who thinks it's women who are always late, that makes for a really good country, country western song. There's a great country western song, I'm Waiting for a Woman. It's terrific, but it isn't my life experience. My life experience is often one of the two of you, and it could be either of you, just has a different concept of what it means to be on time. And I have watched it come near destroying couples. Right? Because if you, because my house, again, my rigid asshole father, right? If he said we were leaving at nine, we walked out the door at the stroke of nine. And if you weren't ready, he dragged you out in your pajamas. You know, every one of every one of my siblings and myself at least once got dragged to school in our pajamas. Because you know, time means something, right? Does it? I don't know. Does it? I've had partners that I actually have a sister who we habitually invite an hour earlier than the actual event is, so she will only be about a half an hour late. <laughs> you know, <laughs> does it matter? No, I love my sister. No, no, no. I love her with all my heart. I we just we know she's going to be late. It's not really, you know, if it's an event that requires being on time, I will tell her and and say, look, I can't hold the event back. So if you're late. You'll miss this. And most of the time she misses those. It comes later and we all tell her about it. We show her the pictures. <laughs> you know, it's, not, it's, it's finding out the, 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 the top important things. And obviously communication and being heard, right, is one of the top ones. So some of the questions um, that I have, the, the first one that really jumped out was, how do you deal with a partner who is using sarcasm? Yes. So... So, okay. Well, you have to tell them. All right. So, I mean, the short answer to this is how do you tell someone that a thing they're doing is hurtful to you in a way that might have a good effect, that might come to a good end? Okay. Sarcasm can be very funny, but if both of you are sarcastic, if you're sarcastic about things that are other than each other, it can, you know, there are a lot of couples who are just, you know, they have a dry, sarcastic wit. Okay. I'm not, I, I don't want to damn sarcasm. What I imagine that question means is when my partner is sarcastic, uses a sarcastic tone or says sarcastic things to me, I feel hurt. I feel, and 
This is the trick. The trick is when Karen says something where my feelings get hurt, or I say, Karen's my wife, or when I say something to Karen, or her feelings get hurt. It's my friends, my child, we can pick anybody, but I'll pick that relationship. First thing is, so many of us, what we learned was to just stuff it. Oh, it's not that bad. It's all right. So my feelings got a little hurt. I, well, I don't want to make a federal case out of it. I don't, right? Yeah, no good. No good. Because we do collect them. About the, about the fifth or sixth time it happens, we explode at the person. And of course, they don't know you've been collecting. So they've just done one thing that they always do. And this time, a bomb went off, right? So, yeah, okay. So we're going to agree first. We have to talk about our feelings. But here's what I know. Sometimes when I tell my partner what I'm feeling, it elicits a really strong feeling in her. When she tells me what she's feeling, when she tells me something I did made her sad, she got sad after saying, oh my God, my job is to make her happy. And so I'm going to be defensive and I'm going to, okay. So the conversation goes something like this. Honey, that thing you just said to me, it, to me, I heard it, it sounded sarcastic. And when I hear the sarcasm, I feel attacked. I feel like I'm not, you're not really my partner in that moment. You're some critic who's basically diminishing me, telling me I didn't do well enough. And I just, I just want to tell you, it's really painful for me when you do that. Okay. And likely what that part, what their partner's going to do first is tell them all the reasons why they shouldn't feel that way. That's the reaction it's going to get. Well, you're, you're taking it too seriously. Why you, you should roll off your back. And I didn't really mean it. You know I love you. And I'm, and I'm just a sarcastic guy. And there's nothing, you know, I'm besides which it was kind of funny. And you really were wrong. And, right? I mean, that's what you get, right? You get a whole bunch of defensive, please don't make me have to look at my own behavior like this. You can't stop that. That's going to happen. What I do I make my I statement. When you did this, I felt this. I listen as my partner has their explosion. I tell them back what I just heard them say in their explosion. Okay, I, it sounds to me like when I told you this, you felt defensive, you felt attacked. It sounds, I think what you're telling me is that you didn't think it was really big and it, and I'm taking it too seriously and you want me to feel differently than I do and it upsets you that I told you what I'm feeling. Did I hear you? Now, sometimes, no, that's not what the person meant. And they're going to say, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this. Okay. They'll explode some more. I will listen. I will try to, okay. All right. It's not that you think um, I'm overreacting. It's just that when I react this way, your feelings get hurt. Is that that you feel somehow that our partnership gets lost because I'm overreacting? Is that what you're saying? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Great. Thank you. And now I want you to hear what I'm saying. When you said this, I feel this. All right. This conversation can be a really challenging conversation because I'm going to keep listening to my partner, telling them back what, the, what I heard, the facts and feelings I heard, so that they know I'm listening to them. And then I'm going to ask them for the courtesy of the same thing. And what happens uh, once or twice, the whole cycle starts to change. The cycle changes to, honey, when you said that just now, it really hurt my feelings. Oh, 
thanks for telling me. I'm, I didn't really mean to hurt your feelings, but I do understand why it hurt your feelings. Um, I, if I owe you an apology, I'm sorry. If I, if I don't think I owe you an apology, I'm glad you told me. I really I'm, thank you for telling me. Uh, sometimes for me, all I can say is, you know, I didn't even realize I was being sarcastic. I, I'll try. I'll try to be better, but I do want you to tell me when, when you feel hurt. Right? That's what, that's what we're aiming for. Right? That's what we're aiming for. You don't want the partner that never hurts you. You want the partner that cares that you got hurt. Yes. Well, one of the biggest um, tags to that thought is from a lot of uh, uh, clients I hear is, why do I have to be the one that facilitates? Why do I need to keep grounded in the middle of my anxiety about not being heard because someone needs to do it? It is a great question. It is a great <laughs> question. I have a 28-year-old daughter. I was a single parent. We, we got divorced uh, when, when she was about two and a half. So she was half raised by me and half raised by her mom. And my daughter, when she was about, I don't know, 16 or 17, one day she was telling me something about one of her friends, and I was talking about how she can be the bigger person and navigate this to get back to friendship. And she said, why do I always have to be the bigger person? Why? <laughs> you know, where is it written? What is it on my birth certificate? What, why do I have to be the Okay. So my answer to that is really simple. You don't have to be the bigger person. You don't have to go through all this. But the alternative then is that you have to have feelings you didn't really get to express and you have a style of conversation between the two of you that isn't going to just heal itself. And you know what? You can dump the guy or dump the woman and find another partner. But if you haven't learned how to talk about your feelings, I can guarantee you this is just going to happen again. And at some point you're just going to think all men are assholes. None of them listen. All women are assholes. None of them, whatever, you know, whatever, you're going to come to the conclusion that the problem is the other gender. Right. The problem is not the other gender. Yeah. The problem is that it's hard work to be the one who learns how to express their feelings and then rides through all the consequences of that until the habit becomes that we express our feelings. It is hard work. Every person I know that's in a relationship they really love is at some level of doing that hard work. For some of them, it's not very hard anymore. Things flare up, you deal with it, you're done. For some, there's it's still a bit of a slog. They're still learning. What do they get though? Oh, they get those moments when they're both when they both have tears in their eyes and they realize they really love each other and they both realize they're trying as hard as they can to do well. And they both realize that the other person cares. To me, that's the heart. So how do, what is the best way to be heard? Okay, so first, I always think the best way to be heard is to develop your own listening abilities. I, I notice that most of us are a little hypocritical. We, we want to get something that we're not always willing to give. Okay. Next thing is to figure out, well, when you feel heard, how do you know you're heard? What does that mean, being heard? I, I think many of my clients, when they say they don't feel heard, what they really mean is, if you really heard me, you would agree with me. And so the fact that you're not agreeing with me means you must not have really heard me. And I completely get that. I, I have those moments, and we all have those moments. Yeah, that's not about being heard. 
That's about being agreed with. There are things my partner believes that I don't believe and things I believe that she doesn't believe. I hear her fine about why she believes it. I just don't believe it. I believe she believes it, but it's not my belief. Okay, so let's make, let's look at what it means to be heard. I feel heard when my words land with you with some impact, that, you, that it's clear to me that you're actually taking them in, allowing yourself to feel the feelings that are in them, allowing yourself to not fight the words, but be present and really hear, really attend, really listen. That's when I feel hurt. That you don't agree after all that, it's a painful thing sometimes, but really feeling heard turns out to be just what you're doing right now, Lucy. You're making eye contact, you're nodding, your whole countenance says, I'm listening to what this person says. I'm really taking this in. I'm, you're not sitting there thinking what the next question you're going to ask me is. You'll think of that in a moment. But right, but in the moment that you're, you're not thinking about how you're going to respond. Okay, I want to say the first tool of getting heard is learning how to listen. Okay, so once I realized how I listen is I have to shut up. I have a little, in my, in my mind, I have this little sort of uh, shut up and listen, right? Karen starts to talk and I want to, I would ask her questions. I want to interrupt, I mean, shut up and listen. <laughs> okay. And I have to tell myself because that's not what I grew up with, you know? I have to remind myself. I start, I'll go, uh, yeah, no, shut up and listen. Just shut up and listen. Okay. So I want to say to every person who's right now going, well, I don't want to do that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Shut up and listen. Just be present. Attend. That's what we need. Attention. Bring your attention to this person and hear what they're saying. And if it's uncomfortable, that's okay. Feel the discomfort. But, but listen to them. Don't walk away. Don't interrupt them. Don't, don't try to control the conversation. Don't, right, don't ask them lots of questions to steer it away from what you're afraid of. Don't, right, there's no listening. Listen, listen. So when one person starts to listen, they start to create a framework, right? What happens is the other person will say, geez, you haven't said anything in a while. You say, yeah, I'm listening. Now you're kind of modeling what you're giving, what you want to get, right? Yeah. So you can then say to your partner sometimes, wait, wait, I know you have a lot of questions and you want to interrupt me, but Will you please do that thing I do for you? Will you just listen right now? And I promise I'll listen to you. But first, just listen to me. There's, there's a wonderful poem by Virginia Stoffshall, I think that's her name. It's called Listen. And really, the, issue, the gist of it is, right? I don't want to be fixed. I don't want to be healed. I don't want to be questioned. I don't want to be, I don't want to be explained. I don't want to, I just want to be listened to. Just hear me. So that's the answer to that. Really is you have to become a good listener and then you have to ask that of your partner. I want to say that this breaks up some relationships. Some people don't want to listen. Yeah. And I, I personally can't be in a relationship with somebody who doesn't want to listen. Yeah. One of the things I learned early on um, in, in the workshops was the ritual that couples would have. Um, and I, 
you know, still use that to have the three minutes either way of just clearing your day, just talking, rambling, getting it out and just being heard rather than having your problems solved. Yep. You know, huge thing, isn't it? I have some couples, I give them a timer. Okay, here's what you're going to do. Set the timer to five minutes, one of you begin. The other person, you don't get to interrupt in any way, shape or form until the five minutes is up. It's very powerful. But it takes practice. And I want to say, you know, people listening to this or watching this, this stuff, it's not rocket science, but we have to commit to it. I, in a way, it's like learning how to touch type. You know, when you when you start, it just all feels so awkward. Really? I got to, that, that one finger has to be able to do five different letters. And, you know, it's not, isn't it just easier to hunt and pack? Yeah. Until you touch typed enough that you start to yes. start doing it unconsciously. So it becomes the new normal. So it's like that. The other side of the question is how how to talk in order to be heard. Okay, so here are things that we do that we don't even realize we're doing when we're talking. We generalize. We take two things that happen and then we make up a whole story that that's how it's going to be forever. So I want to tell you about this thing that irritates me twice. You said this. And I mean, I just can't have a lifetime of you saying, wait, you only said it twice. What do you mean a lifetime? What? You know, right? Right. We do this. We generalize. We, we name call. Look, I'm just telling you how I'm feeling, jerk. You know, you're, you're, a, you're a woman and women don't listen. We name call, we label, we shame, we blame, right? Um, somebody, I remember early in, my, uh, early in my own training, right? We talked about I statements, right? And so the example, the example was, right, um, you're an idiot. Now, you see, that's a you statement. Now, can you make that an I statement? Yeah, I think you're an idiot, right? No, 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 that's still a you statement, right? We have, we don't use I statements, we use you statements. We blame you. You made me feel, like it's the language. You made me angry. You made me sad. Like you could do that, <laughs> right, you know? Okay, we, we bring up the past. So we don't, we're not really talking about now, we're talking about, we're not actually really willing to fix anything. We just want to air the problem. We're not actually in agreement that there's something to fix and then focus on the thing to fix. Right? These are all things we do when we're talking that make it really hard for our partner to listen. We criticize. We joke. We get sarcastic. We Our, our face reacts when we think more than anybody really needs to know, but I have a dodgy digestive system. I have what's called irritable bowel syndrome. And every so often I'm, I'm having stomach cramps, right? And, you know, if somebody's trying to say something to me and my face does one of these, right? They automatically think it's something they just said. And I don't, you know, like if they'd ask, I'd say, yeah, it's gas. That's what it's gas. You know, like, sorry, I need to leave the room because really I better leave the room, you know? We don't. We make up stories. We invent. We we try to. Okay. So, how to talk so someone else will listen? Rule number one. Rule number 
say what I say what happened and what I'm feeling. Rule number two. Ask the other person, are they okay hearing this? Are they willing to hear more? Do they have the time? Do they have the space? Don't try to talk to somebody who doesn't want to listen to you. It's that simple. I'm not saying never, but if Karen says to me, look, I got a Zoom call in five minutes, that's not the time for me to start a conversation with her. All right? If she says, even if she says, you know, whatever it is, if she doesn't, she's not willing to listen. We just had this a moment ago where I just said to her, I said, I, I want to empty out about this thing that we were just both in. Um, can you listen? No, I can't. I, I got to make this phone call. But after this phone call, I can listen. Great. If you you just come and tell me when you can. And, right? I want to make, I don't want to talk to somebody who doesn't want to listen. I don't want to talk to somebody where my listening is on a tight schedule and right. Okay. I don't want to threaten. I don't want to grandstand. There's no way I can, if I say to you, God, if we don't fix this, I don't see how we can make it. You're not going to be able to listen to that. You're not going to be able to listen to that. That's going to be, a, that's a threat. That's an ultimatum. That's a, what that tells me is you already got one foot out the door. Right? So these are ways. No criticism. No ultimatums. A straight. This happened, and I feel this. And then, uh, are you willing to hear more? One thing that helps when to be to be heard is to tell our partner what we want from them up front. I'll say to Karen, or Karen will say to me, "Look, I don't. Please don't offer me suggestions to fix this. Please don't. I don't. I don't really want to hear. What I really want is I just want somebody who loves me to hear me say these words because I'll feel better if I can get these words out." Great, okay, I know the rules now. Don't try to fix. Shut up and listen. <laughs> so this is how you do it. You teach your partner, and you, t you talk about this, right? And the times it goes off wire, you say so. Um, there's a moment when she says to me or I say to her, you know, I feel like you hijacked the conversation. I was, I was really talking about this, and now we're talking about you. And, you know, like, I can make a federal case about that, or what usually happens is, one or the other of us will say, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. I am talking about me right now. Okay, um, I can let go of that. Tell me more about like, what you're feeling right now. What's going on for you? you? You can't really be in partnership with somebody who won't try to listen. But I want to say that most people try their best. Most people try their best. So if they're not doing it well, there's usually something in the way. And often I will have to say to Karen, Okay, I know you're trying to listen to me, but it just feels like there's something in the way. I, it just, I don't get that you're really attending. I, I get, I got, your face just doesn't, I just don't really get that I'm being listened to right now. I have the space to hear what's going on for you if you want, for a little bit. If that'll help you get present for what I'm going to say. That's often, often those conversations are very powerful. She doesn't. She doesn't realize, or I don't even realize that there's something in the way of my listening until my partner challenges me on it and says, I don't get that you're listening. And then if I'm willing to just stop and think about that, maybe I find there's a grain of truth in that. Yeah, I'm thinking about the bad phone conversation I just had, or I'm worried about the bills, or I'm, you know, or I just don't really want to hear a complaint right now. It feels like a complaint, you know, and that's just my listening. I'm not, I'm not really listening to you. I'm hearing it as a complaint. And, Maybe I'm not really available, you know? 
And, and then is the, so the next part of that is to make sure it's understood. So the act of listening is, is you would consider it essential? Reflection, reflection. I want to know that you, you heard what I said. I want to, and I, and usually what I want to do is I want to hear it in your words because it'll help me actually get clearer about what I was really saying. When you say back to me, well, gee, it, it kind of sounds like you're angry at your brother, you know. I may never have had that thought, but whatever I said, that's what it sounded like to you. So I'll have that moment of, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I am. Yeah, I think I, maybe it's not anger. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just frustrated and I'll start to get clarity for me because you have been empathetically reflecting back what you heard. But often I don't even need any reflection. I just need some ahas and some, I love you and, well, that sounds hard. You know, I need, I need all those gentle noises we make that say, I'm listening, I care. And, and would you have um, a thought about what, what happens if, if you are trying to have this conversation, but you're emotional or you're overwhelmed? And often what I see happening is that people then keep, keep talking and they talk for longer than they should. It, it, and that person... Positive. So there's a couple of pieces to this. Okay, so I want to say sometimes that's going to happen. That's just going to happen. It's going to happen. I'm, I, I think I'm letting myself in for listening for five minutes, and I'm going to be really empathetic. And we're 20 minutes into it, and she's a puddle, and we've already used up a whole box of tissues. And, and it's like, oh, my God, is this ever going to end? And how do I get out of here? You know, that happens. It does. It happens. We have to tell each other the truth. I have to be able to say, or she has to be able to say, you know, Honey, I thought I could listen, and I notice I'm getting distracted, and I'm getting uncomfortable about how long this is going on, and I'm also, I think the amount of emotion you're expressing is frightening me, and uh, and I just, I have to say the truth about this. I don't want to pretend it's not, and it's scary, and I'm not asking you to stop, but I'm wondering, am I the best person for you to be talking to right now? So this is the other thing. I think this idea that we're supposed to be everything to each other is death. I have four or five really close male adult friends, men that I'm pals with. Though we go drinking and we go we go shooting at the range. You know, they're my they're my buds, and every one of them has done growth work. We have all cried in each other's arms. There are times when maybe really she's not the one I should be talking to. I need to go with the guys and we need to do it however we do it. I, I don't think everybody does it this way, but I'm, I'm big on, we go to some bar, we get a quiet table, we, we have a drink because it loosens our inhibitions. And before you know it, we're all in tears about sort of how hard it is to be a man and whatever's going on. And it's a very sweet thing. It's very powerful. We don't want to be observed. <laughs> we don't, you know, we have, we have our own shame about it because it doesn't seem really manly. But it's a very powerful bond. The bond of chosen brothers is a very, very powerful bond. Yeah, Karen can't be that for me. Yeah. She has a women's group. You know, she calls the women in a women's group. That's a, that's a better place for some of these conversations. One, one issue I find is cropping up more and more is that a lot of my clients, husbands or partners, male partners in particular, don't have a good male friend. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't. What's yeah. that about? Yeah, they don't. We're, because if you think of all the images that we're given in media, if you think about our idea of a hero, our ideas of heroism are always the lone hero. 
it's the sniper. It's the the it's it's uh, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. Yeah, he has a team, but really he's that lone guy out there, right? It's it's uh, clear and present danger. What's the name of the Jack Ryan? It's Jack Ryan who's out there alone fighting all of communism. You know, right? It's it's James Bond, and he's got his gadgets and his our images of what heroism looks like is the lone warrior. And we're not, some of us through a lot through athletics in school actually learn a little bit about how to have bonding friendships. But even a lot of those, by the time we're adults, there's just, you know, the days of men going to a club just don't, don't exist anymore. The days of, right. So, I've made it a point in my manhood to cultivate this, to, to find men that I like and appreciate and actively say, I don't feel like I have enough male friends. Are you willing? Are you interested? And I actually really, how I did, I was in a low point in my life and I sent an email to like five guys that I like and said, I know this is really weird, but I need, I need a circle of men. I don't, have it. I can't, I keep going to women for something they can't give me. And I think maybe I'm just, and I, so I invented a men's club for me. We don't ever, we don't ever sit in a circle and light candles. We don't, we don't go around and cry and, you know, tell each other a story. It's none of that. We don't do any of that. We bond the way we bond. Right. And it's, it's healthy for all of us. Every one of us treasure, every one of us, every one of us treasures it. And every one of us when we have a partner, those partners all have their own little circle because of our circle, right? So they all love each other, and we all love each other, and it, it's a very powerful thing. It's community. I think it's I think it's what would have happened if we weren't in so in such a civilized world. It's, it's community. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you. But you have to again. You have to work at it. I want to say to every lone guy out there, it's not going to just happen. You have to reach out to some guy that you actually like and say, I don't really know how to do this, but is there a way we can cultivate a friendship? And I had one guy say to me, are you cruising me? And it's like, well, yeah, kind of, but I'm not gay. <laughs> you know, but yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay, a big one here. Um, how to apologize if you hate apologizing and when not to apologize? Well, first, don't, don't apologize if it's not sincere. Let's just start with that. If you don't really sincerely feel like you have anything to apologize for, don't apologize. Okay, when to apologize and how to apologize. Apologies, actually, there's a whole bunch of books on the subject of sort of what makes a successful apology. Here are some of the pieces. First, First, I have to genuinely, I want to make a distinction between positive remorse and guilt. If I'm feeling guilt or shame and I'm apologizing because I feel guilt or shame, I'm actually in a cycle that's going to go nowhere. So I have to figure out why do I want to apologize? All of us say sorry too fast. We all do, right? I'm, I happen to be a big person. You can't tell here, but I'm, I'm five foot 11 and I'm 300 pounds. I'm a big guy. I'm big. Right? People bump into me all the friggin' time. I walk down a sidewalk, people just slam into me. I know, because I take up a lot of space. I almost always say sorry when they do. They bump into me and I go, oh, sorry. 
no, 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 no. I, I, that's not, what am I apologizing for? I'm just taking up space here. What am I Okay, so we want to look at what are we apologizing for. When I feel like there's, that I have caused a break in the trust between us or in the affection between us, when my behavior clearly has been hurtful to someone else, and I want to preserve that relationship, then I want to apologize. I want to apologize when I've said something judgmental or critical. I want to apologize when I've been sarcastic and I didn't really mean to be sarcastic and I saw the hurt in your face and I didn't do anything. I want to apologize when um, you reached out to me and I didn't actually tell you that I was too busy. I just ghosted you. Right. I just let, right. There are things, there are a lot of little things we do in life where I take some responsibility that my behavior was not loving, was not kind. Okay. What do I need to say in the apology? I want to acknowledge what happened, what I believe happened, what I think happened. I want to say something about remorse. I am, when I say I'm sorry, what I'm usually saying is I'm sorry this happened. I really wish this hadn't happened. I really wished I hadn't done the thing I did. I do also other things when that's not what's going on. Sometimes people's feelings get hurt when I quite deliberately said the thing I said. Then I'm going to say, I'm really sorry your feelings got hurt. I, I really thought I was helping, but I can see that what I thought was help was hurtful to you. I can't, for me, when somebody tells me an explanation of why the thing happened, it invalidates the apology. Look, I'm, I'm really sorry that we told you the meeting was at 9 and it was supposed to be at 10, but you see we had this automatic letter, the automatic letter went out, and the reason you got the 9 o'clock letter is because you, you, know, you told us late that you were coming to the meeting. I don't give anything about that. What I want to hear is that you valued my time. So I encourage people not to explain. Don't make up the story about why it happened because the person receiving that apology is going to hear it's going to happen again. <laughs> right? See, you got a good reason for it happening. It's going to happen again. Okay. The best part of apologies is to find the words to say, I feel like I miss the place in my heart that you have been occupying, I feel like I did something to damage that. And I, I want to know, I want to ask you, is there anything I can do to help heal that? Right. Okay. That's yeah. really, those are all that's in an apology. We don't like to apologize. I understand why we don't like to apologize, but I honestly believe we don't like to apologize for that same stuff we were talking about at the very beginning. Because we've got a lid on our emotions and we're a little afraid that if we dip into our sadness, our sorrow, if we dip into remorse, oh my God, we're gonna get we're gonna drown in our feelings. Yeah, it's not true. Apologies actually are one good way to start to notice what you are feeling. And I it starts to break apart that lid that we have on our feelings. And I'm a believer in breaking apart that lid. I I, I know that I go through life with my heart more available to be hurt by others, but I also go through life with my heart more available to me. And I've tried the other, and the other feels like a prison.
you, you know, you're in a great marriage, but you don't really feel the love. You're, you have great kids, but you don't really feel the excitement and joy of your kids. You, you have a job where you have things you're really proud of, but you don't let yourself really feel how proud you really feel, right? It, it just it puts a damper. And we, I believe the, the literary expression is we wind up leading lives of quiet desperation. I'd rather risk getting hurt. It took me a long time to figure this out. And I've gotten hurt to the point where I really wondered, do I want to commit suicide? You know, do I want to just be done and found my way back out of that? And still, I would rather that than to be back into in that armor. Well, <clears throat> thank you. Thank you. There's so many words of wisdom there. And I, I'm so happy that we've, we've got this for, for those who can like me, return to this over and over again. And if you're willing, I would love to have you back to discuss a whole range of things, such as Anytime you'd like. Anytime kingdom you'd like. and codependency and relationship and all sorts of delicious things. Um, how can people get hold of you if they do want to have a, a session with you? So um, I, these days with COVID-19, I work almost entirely on Zoom or the like. I'm actually comfortable in a lot of different uh, video chat formats, but you know, this is, this is how sessions work. And I, I have one client in Singapore and I have one client in London. So I understand adjusting for time zones and trying to find the mutual time. Um, my website is my name, Chaz August, C-H-A-S-A-U-G-U-S-T.com chazaugust.com my email address chazaugust at gmail.com right so i'm easy to find and if all that if you forget all that lucy always knows where to find me um so i'm you can find me on facebook Chaz August. um i'm trying to think where else I, i'm you know i'm i'm pretty you're accessible yeah you're Chaz. I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty accessible and I'm Chaz August okay so and it's not Chaz with a Z it's Chaz with an S because that's a mistake people make and it's August just like the month A U G U S T um, I've written some things sometimes people want to know about jealousy for instance I can send them a little PDF about things I wrote about jealousy or they want to know something about uh, having a, having a sex life after having a divorce right I, there's a little thing I wrote about how to get back you how to get your mojo back after a divorce right so um so it's okay to write to me and just say you have questions and sometimes i may say to you here's this if you want to work with me i have all kinds of packages for you know what, how many sessions you can buy and what sessions cost i'm pretty flexible but it is how i make my living so i don't mostly give it away that said i usually start with a short conversation we'll talk on the phone probably uh, maybe a zoom call but probably the phone for 15 minutes or so and just make sure that the thing you want is really a thing that I feel comfortable providing and vice versa, that you, that you really feel comfortable that I'm the right provider. So. Chaz, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, so. quite, it's quite mutual, Lucy. Yeah, thank you. So have yourself a uh, glorious evening. Uh, is it evening? Yes, it's evening. Yes it, is. yes, it is evening. I am about to grill dinner on the barbie. And make your partner really... <laughs> Absolutely, I'm going to give her what she wants. <laughs> Lots of love to you. Thank you so much. Yes. Well, I enjoyed that. I hope you found that really interesting. Yes, a lot of truth in there, a lot of pace, a lot of wisdom. So thank you, Chaz August. And of course, you can find him on chazaugust.com 
chasaugust at gmail.com. So thank you listeners and tune in again next week if you like the vibe of Chaz because we will be talking once again on a completely different subject but still to do with love, relationship and awareness. Have a wonderful week and stay safe and buoyant. Bye-bye.